This is just one Sunday to address something that I'm going to assume that most all of you have thought by now, and I'll get to what that thought is in just a minute. But a couple of things I want to remind you, um, well, I've been telling you all the cool things that we have going on next Sunday, but I forgot about the coolest one. I, I can't believe I, I haven't shared this. We just confirmed it last week, but at the conclusion of service for the first time, since the COVID era, we're going to have a baptism next Sunday too, all right? Chrissy Banks is going to get baptized next Sunday, and so I uh, hope you're all here uh, as, as we conclude service next Sunday. Um, also wanted to, uh, um, you know, as, as Tracy prayed, uh, thank you for the storm. I remember two weeks ago, I gave a message called Hot Air, and it was stinking hot. We talked about it's so hot, right? And then the rain came. And it's fall. That's the way it works in Ohio, right? All of a sudden, the rain comes, the weather cools down, and we're on to a new season. So um, we, we, we learn to embrace change. It's part, of, uh, it's part of life. It's something that we witness and that, we, that we, all we got to do is, is open up our eyes and see, and you're going to see how that comes right back up in today's message as well. Before I jump into prayer, I know you got this notes section in your bulletin. Uh, that I've just been leaving blank, and this is kind of new. Uh, we've, we, Darla's our new secretary, and she's re- just kind of in on Wednesday, so I'm not ready by Wednesday, you know, to have all of your notes for you. Uh, so someday, maybe I will be, you know, I'll be able to give you something there. So, but I want to give you the three-part outline, so you can already just write this outline in before we do the message today, and you'll kind of know all the points that I'm going to track, and you can even know just how much long, have a projection for how much longer I'm going to take, Okay. So if, uh, if you need to cut your nap short, right? So here's, here's, here's the three points. Uh, it's going to be about um, what is on, um, we're, we're going to be talking, go ahead and go, go to that next slide, okay, if you want to. We're going to be talking about imagining what was on uh, Ezra's mind as he's making this journey. Imagine what, what's on Ezra's mind on the road to return. And the three points, number one, is going to be things won't be the same. Things won't be the same. Number two is I have a job to do. Things won't be the same. I have a job to do. And then the last thing we're going to talk about is just put four words. You could put restore, colon, worship, sanctification, and repentance. Restore worship, sanctification, and repentance. If you miss those, don't worry about it because I'm going to be preaching on it here in just a little bit. We'll get back to you. But that, that way you can have some outline there for your notes. All right? I want to begin with a word of prayer. We're going we're gonna to jump into this this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege uh, that, to be able to share this morning and uh, be able to address something that I believe is on everyone's hearts in this moment. It's something that's on the heart of the church, something that anyone who is observant and curious and skeptical has considered. And, but now, we don't need man's wisdom. We don't need our own opinions. We need the Spirit of the living God to speak to us. Speak to us in a way that brings about change, that brings about impact, that brings about fruit in our life and in the life of others. So help us find ourselves in the middle of this story in Ezra. How this text that maybe doesn't even sound like it means much of anything when it's read out loud. Well, if we pay attention, we're right where Ezra Ezra was at this moment. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, 
If you heard Tracy read that, and, and if, if you've read the newsletter, you probably kind of know where I'm going with this this morning. But I want to tell you a little bit about what's, these are two books of the Bible that don't get read too much, Ezra and Nehemiah. Esther's, they made some movies about uh, the book of Esther, One Night with the King. Um, I'm just referring, is a great movie if you ever, haven't ever seen it. That's basically about uh, the book of Esther, what takes place in the book of Esther. Um, great movie to watch. But these other two books, Ezra and Nehemiah, I don't, I'm sure there's something out there. I don't know that anybody's ever portrayed what's going on in Ezra and Nehemiah. It's, it's a kind of interesting. It's really only interesting for what they are preparing for someone who is to come, and that someone who is to come is, of course, Christ. So what has just transpired, okay, where this story picks up is that Israel has been in exile. Exile means they're not living in Israel anymore. They're not living in the land of Canaan. They're not living in the promised land. They were taken captive by Babylon. Babylon was the most dominant empire at the time, okay? Now, before Babylon was the most dominant empire was Assyria, okay? Now, I, sh- I use the word Israel. That, wasn't a, that was a, actually a, not a good choice of words. Um, all of Israel was, a, was taken into captivity except, remember, Israel was the northern tribe and Judah was the bottom tribe. Israel fell sooner, and they went into captivity with the Assyrians. The Assyrians were brutal. Nineveh was, was, was the capital of Assyria. That's why Jonah hated Nineveh. He didn't even want to go there. Eventually, Assyria got judged, but not before they scattered all the tribes of Israel and basically butchered all the, you know, all the, all the Israelites. Okay? So all that's left at this point was Judah. So there's where they begin to call those that went into Judah, Jews, okay? They start getting this language of the Jews. You read about that language in the book of Esther. Well, now, since then, um, Babylon is no longer the dominant empire. Medo-Persia becomes the most dominant empire, okay? And the Persians, if you read the story of Esther, uh, they begin to have some favor, or the the Jews begin to have some favor with the Medo-Persian rulers, and so what takes place in Ezra and Nehemiah is now the Jews are finally given permission to leave the place that they're at, which is still kind of in Babylon, and go back to what was formerly Israel, to back to Judah, to Jerusalem, and rebuild the city, restore worship. And Nehemiah goes back after it's over, and he rebuilds the wall, helps rebuild the wall around the city. And so they're going back, they're returning to something after a time of exile, a time of being away from Jerusalem, being the, the people of the promised land, the God's people, and not even living in the land that they're supposed to. But see, the question I throw up there to you on the next slide there, Nick, is let's imagine what was in the mind of Ezra? Ezra was meant to be a priest and a scribe. He was meant to be the one that was going to go back, and he was going to be the new spiritual leader in Jerusalem. So here he is making this journey. And by the way, did you notice how long this journey was? In the text that Tracy read, uh, this journey, what did I count? Something like two months Five months, just a short five-month walk from former Babylon to Jerusalem. So he's got a long time to be thinking about things as he's making his way back to Jerusalem. But what I want to point out is a lot of the things that was probably on Ezra's mind 
are the kind of stuff that's on your mind today. As we began worship services again, as we see even all across America, just to be honest, church attendance is still bouncing back. And many people are wondering if it's ever really going to truly bounce back to where it was. Many people all across our country are still kind of skeptical about things. We're still kind of curious that maybe this Delta virus is going to break out again. And, and things and, and think things a lot like Ezra did, that things are not going to be the same. See, they were going to go back. They were given permission by Medo-Persia to go back and rebuild. But Medo-Persia is still kind of like Big Brother here in this case. And then eventually it's going to be after Medo-Persia, it's going to be Greece uh, and Antiochus Epiphanes, and then it's going to be the Roman Empire. So the Jews are still, at the time of Christ, the, the Jews are still under someone else's authority. I mean, back in the days of so- David and Solomon, I mean, Solomon doing Solomon, they were like the richest, they were believed to be the richest country on earth at that time. Um, the, the, queen, the, the queen of Egypt came and was amazed at everything that they had at that time. And so Ezra's going back. Not only are we not going to have our own country to ourselves, the country's in ruins. And now I'm supposed to go back and we're going to restore worship. We're going to rebuild where all the rubble is. And, and Medo-Persia is just going to be kind of looking over our shoulder. You see what I'm feeling here? You see what Ezra's feeling here? Things just aren't going to be the way that they were before exile. They're going to be different this time. And I know that, that many of us, Many of you, maybe even in this room, are thinking about this as um, we return to worship. And we even try like something like next Sunday, like a new beginning Sunday, and say, encourage as many people as you can to come to church. And, and you know, wondering, is it, are we going to be about the size that we were? Are all the other churches in town just going to keep getting smaller at this point? Is that, that's the question that many people are, are, are the, not the question, the thought that many people are thinking. Are things ever going to be the same again you know maybe I, I had a moment like that just a couple of weeks ago I'd been uh, because of, before COVID I played in I usually played a lot of volleyball during the summer played a couple nights a week and then we'd play on these all-day tournaments um, on Saturday and then um, I played maybe one tournament last year and then I get a call out of the blue to come and play you know four-on-four volleyball all day in the stinking heat when it was hot and I had, for the first time, I had the moment, like, I really wanted to do it. It's like, yeah, I'll, get, I'll help you get a team together. I'll play on your team. And then all of a sudden, I just had this moment when I was kind of preparing. I had some other things going on. I was like, you know what? I put on some weight, and I haven't played volleyball in, you know, really much in a year. And this thought came to my head. I could actually die if I go do this. <laughs> like, this could be the end if I try this. And so my point is that, man, I had to acknowledge things have changed, Uh, you know, maybe not in this kind of shape that I was a couple years ago, or at least in, you know, sand volleyball kind of shape to be playing all day in the heat and just torture myself. But, but maybe you think about that, you know, we always, I talk to many of you about what WACOB was like in the eighties, you know, when, when, well, many of you that were here were a little bit younger, right? And, and, and I was just talking to Allie about the, um, the, 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 you guys used to do the retreats at Houston Woods, and there used to be um, some other like outdoor events and things that we did, and where there was a lot more activities and just kind of re- remembering the days. And maybe you're here and you're wondering, are things ever going to be the same? Are things ever going to be like that again? And is that Ezra's going back? You know, he's. He's remembering, he's listening to the stories that the ancestors used to tell them of what things used to be like and the stories that are passed on and the works 
that God did. And the truth was that, you know, this temple that Ezra and Nehemiah would build, it would not be the same as Solomon's temple. And there is a reality that at least in especially in Ezra's case, the things would not be the same. But the, the spiritual truth here is that not to run away from change, but rather to embrace it. Let me say that again. Not to run away from change, not to run away from this reality, but rather to embrace it. There's a powerful lyric that was written by one of my favorite worship bands um, that, that they say that, that, you know, after looking, having to have to do, do church with just the, you know, the musicians and the pastor, right, and looking at these big empty buildings all Sunday. When I, back when I was doing these Facebooks and he had a revelation, he said, it's not a building or a, or a house you want to fill, but it's my heart. This empty space is what you wanted all along. To not make it about the crowd, but about one individual realizing that they're the ones that need to be filled. Let me say that again. You need to be filled with the power of the living God, not as much the church building. If we have a bunch of dead people that aren't filled, we're still a dead church. But we must be a people of individuals that are filled with the power of the living God and the presence of the living God with them. So men and women of God must recognize that discipline and routine is important, but change is the work that the Holy Spirit does. Change should not surprise us. Change is something we are always prepared for because we should be experiencing this Holy Spirit power that brings change in us every day. You all get this like I'm getting this. Your body at some point is going to begin to change for the worst. I'm sorry I have to tell you that now, but it's going to happen. But if your soul does not change for the better along with it, you will die a bitter and angry person. We must be growing in faith as these things begin to deteriorate. We must keep growing, keep changing, and allowing the power of God to transform us. It's, been, it's, a, it's a spiritual truth as well as a psychological truth. If we, by the time that this guy named Eric Erickson had all these theories of life, but he said that by the time you're 40, if you don't learn how to get generative, that means give back and quit consuming and quit living your life primarily to consume and work your way up the ladder. If you, it's not that those things are wrong, but if, the, that's, if that, that should no longer be the primary purpose of your life. If you do not get generative at that point, you will lose your stinking mind because you will keep trying to get something that you think you're entitled to, that you think you should have, and it will never be enough for you. 40 is just an age, but there's some point in time where you have to realize it's time to start giving back. And what we need more than anything in the church right now is is to, to catch this because this is why Ezra was so motivated. The second one, the second one, the thing that would have been on Ezra's mind, he's imagining all these things that things just aren't going to be the same, but he's also realizing that I got a job to do. I've been commissioned. I've been commissioned by God, but here's what it says. Um, he says, it, it doesn't matter how hard it's going to be. If the standard was Solomon's temple in the glory days of Israel, if that's what I'm trying to, to reachieve here, then what's the point? That wasn't what Ezra's goal was. 
Ezra had a defined purpose that he was called to go back and begin to rebuild worship, begin to restore worship in Judah. He had a job to do. He had a mission. He had a purpose, and this mission was given to him directly from the living God. But where does Ezra, where does Ezra find his identity? See, Ezra can make excuses or he could be skeptical, but someone has to do the work, and Ezra realized it was going to be him. So where does Ezra get this? It comes in verse Ezra 7, verse 10. It says, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. That means in exile. Just like many of the one, one thing kind of goes unspoken sometimes is that the, the exile to Babylon wasn't really the worst place in the world. Certainly wasn't the best place in the world. But the Jews were allowed to have their own worship. They had to, you know, they were, they were, they were, at times they weren't even mandated. If you read the story in Daniel, all the crazy things that went on with Nebuchadnezzar, there were times when they were mandated to worship Babylonian idols. There were times when they weren't. They were permitted to serve their own gods. Daniel had a lot to do with that as well. But, but Ezra was one of those that continued to pray, continued to fast, continued to find a secret place. To have a history with God that reminded him of who he was. That reminded him of what his purpose was. That he had a job to do. See, many of us sometimes have a temporary purpose that's defined by the last post that you saw on social media. I saw this. Now my purpose is to respond to it and give my opinion. That's what God put me here for. Come on. Or is your, is your purpose defined by the last post that you saw on, your, on social media? Is your purpose defined in the secret place? My purpose isn't defined by what someone I don't even know that well said about me. Come on, my purpose is defined in the secret place. My purpose isn't defined by obtaining everything my neighbors have. My purpose is defined in the secret place with the living God. My purpose isn't defined by vengeance, greed, or selfish ambition. My purpose is defined in the secret place. If you're having trouble, if you need a banner, if you need a banner statement to understand what this purpose is, sure, sure, there's this unique thing that we have in this intimate relationship between us and Christ, but he gave it to us pretty clear in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, if you put that one up. It's the last thing that Jesus said, that one of the things he did before he, as he commissioned, he said, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. This commission was passed on from the disciples to you. So look at the person next to you and say, you got work to do. Come on, go ahead. You got work to do. This commission has been passed on to you. And just as Ezra said that, as he was making his way back, I have a job to do. Finally. So then here's what Ezra did when he finally got there. 
After the road to return was over, what the rest of the passages in the book of Ezra talk about what Ezra did, he restored worship, he restored sanctification, and he restored repentance. These are the three things you see him doing in the remainder of the text. Now, worship, of course, is a lifestyle, but what he's referring to in this text was the event, the event of sacrifice, the the event of tabernacle, of temple worship. And see, that always meant bringing an animal. And sometimes when we when we read about this, we, you know, it's so foreign to our culture. But one thing we, we have to appreciate is that these are, these are impoverished times. They don't have a lot. They've just been permitted to go back to Israel. So when you bring the best meat, the best of the best, and you just sacrifice it, you know, that costs something. We could have used that to feed our family for the next two weeks, and now here we are putting it on the altar. See, worship in the Old Testament, it was always meant to cost something. We've created a, a form of Christianity today that doesn't cost us anything. Hmm. And I, I, was, I was listening to this the other day. I think it's hilarious. I've been, I'm telling myself, I'm not sort of kind of doing it, that I'm going to try this intermittent fasting thing. Doesn't that say something about our culture? We've got enough stuff for, for generations, people, it's been the goal to go to bed and not be hungry, okay? That's what they're trying to do is to go to bed and not be hungry. And now we've come to a point where, hey, I'm going to do this intermittent fasting. I'm not going to eat for the last six hours. Nice job, man. Went to bed hungry. Congratulations. Like that's how the tables have turned now. We've got so much stuff that we look for ways to, to actually go to bed not being hungry. So we're not gluttons and we don't have so much extra weight tagged on. But that's how we're, we can be so foreign from this culture sometimes. Worship was always meant to cost us something. And so what does that look like today? Well, of course, you know, one of the most basic ways is, of course, to give a tithe. Um, I hope that when you come in here and worship, some things die that you lay some things down here that you don't take back out with you out the door. Maybe, if anything else, your pride. You learn to lay down your pride and practice some humility. But they restored worship. And worship, is, is these are one of the, the key things that we need to begin to do again, is restore a heart of worship that gives something in the experience to the living God. The second thing was sanctification. Sanctification just simply means to come out and be separate. It's a word they used, often used to talk about the instruments in the, in the tabernacle. And Jesus, liked to, Jesus and Paul like to use this word then to talk about sanctifying our souls. Being a Christ follower does mean saying no to some things. And they had to separate themselves from the culture around them. But Jesus did say something different. And he said, go to Judea and Samaria. Go to the places that aren't like you, but still be set apart in their midst. Um, one of the things he did is he restored worship and a restored sanctification. We have to understand again with cultures getting really confusing, church. It'll pull you in and polarize you really quickly. And that is not, I hope, I feel like I, feel like I say these things a lot, so I, I know you're hearing this every Sunday. That is not the will of the Lord for you to continue to separate yourself from other individuals when it comes to loving them and, and to, to caring about them. But when it comes to your lifestyle, 
and jumping on the ship of vengeance, jumping on the ship of greed, a jumping in in selfish ambition, jumping in in sexual immorality, jumping in in drunkenness, you were called to be separate. And finally, the last thing that Ezra restored was repentance. Most of what we see take place in the rest of this book, Ezra, through verses 10, 7, 8, 9, and 10, is repentance. Revivals in Scripture were always characteristic of repentance. And see, the mentality can slip in that we want to have a church service so we can feel good about ourselves and be happy that we came, but repentance has always been the path to restoration. It has always been the path to revival. And because you see this pattern time and time again, I just want to make sure I'm loud and clear when I say, church, we can't expect real growth. We can't expect a move of the Spirit of God to happen in our congregation without repentance. We're really just faking it if we don't let God bring about some change in our life. There's that darn word again. There's that word again. Repentance of change. Repentance has always been the pastorization. It's always been the path to revival. Repentance is not just confessing our sins. It is turning. It is change. What an irony. Because this was a setup for what Jesus was going to do. Ezra's going back. Ezra's going back to Jerusalem. Here in America in 2021, we're trying to get back to church, trying to have a new beginning Sunday. And we have the audacity to have the idea that things aren't going to be the same. Well, things have changed now. And we see the living God speaking to Ezra and speaking to the Jews, just as he's speaking to all of us today. It's not a building he wants to fill. It's your heart. This empty space, a space that's willing to let God bring about change in your life, is what he's wanted all along. You just have to be an open vessel that's willing to change. See, whatever growth happens here it's going to become because the people in front of me are bringing the presence of God into this place and are growing spiritually themselves that when others come they can't help but want to experience this with us the Lord wants to do the real thing in us church and this is where it all begins with repentance well as we close, I just want to invite you to have every uh, head bowed, every eye, every eye closed. Keep thinking of that song this morning, Lord. It's not a building you want to fill. It's my heart. This empty space is what you wanted all along. I just want to tell right now to exhale all of our skepticism, 
all of our wonderings of what things are going to be like next month, all of our wonderings are what things are going to be like in 2022, how long this new as we know it is going to stick around. And let's just exhale it for a moment because at the end of the day, to the church, it really doesn't matter. The Great Commission has still been given to us. And our identity is not found in what is taking place in the culture around us. I want you to say this to yourself like you're whispering it. But your identity is found in the secret place. Yes, Lord. Thank you for the secret place. For the moments where I can meet with you and allow you to bring growth in my life. Lord, all across this church, we invite you to bring transformation. We invite you to soften hearts. We invite you to give vision of the work that is to be done today. Sure, the work is inviting people to church. Sure, the work is going to be serving. But Lord, I know that you, you want to bring a life and empowerment to each and every one sitting here and remind them of their role in this moment. May we be reminded of your call, Lord. May we say yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite all of you to stand for your benediction this morning. As always, I uh, always would love to pray with you after service and always want you to know I'm available for prayer. Um, you know, I won't go anywhere just, just always to see if anybody comes forward. So would love to pray with you if you're in need of prayer for anything this morning. If your benediction may, it comes right out of this text. May you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching others to obey everything that Christ has given you. As you do know that the Lord is with you always. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Oh, mm-hmm.